This is DeRay Alalia, and you're listening to the Before the Millions podcast, episode 144. Are you ready to be the master architect of your life? Are you ready to design your business and invest the needs that create the lifestyle you've always dreamt of? Are you ready to learn from entrepreneurs and millionaires who have achieved a certain level of success? Hey, this is Derek, location-independent entrepreneur, and you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hi, I'm Gina Lofton. I am an investor, and you're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey there, my name is Heather Havenwood, marketing coach and global entrepreneur. And you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey, this is Mark Asquith, the host of the 7 Minute Mentor podcast, global entrepreneur and all-round geek. And you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. I am MC Lobster, the Cashflow Ninja, and you're listening to Before the Millions podcast. You're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. But whether you're looking to invest for cash flow or build an online business that allows you to be location independent, you've come to the right place. Mr. Hollywood himself presents the Before the Millions podcast. And now your host, DeRay Olalaye. What it do, BTM tribe? Welcome to this brand new installment. Man, this is a Friday episode and I am super, super, super excited to get into it. Actually, if you're not already subscribed to this podcast, make sure that you subscribe now. If this is your first time tuning in, you definitely want to go back and listen to episode 142 and 143. The amount of feedback I've gotten from those episodes are overwhelming. And in fact, this is the first time this year in 2020 that we're having guests on the show. And I'm super excited to have them on and have you guys hear their story. I actually have on two business partners who started out in business together and continue to do business together till this day. So I have on Jason Roberts and Rachel Snyder. And their story is uplifting. It's inspirational. It's fascinating. And we also get into a little bit of strategy as well. So so not only are you going to learn how Rachel and Jason started out in the mortgage industry and how they built and grew a company to over 100 employees, but you'll learn exactly how they transitioned from that to a multi-million dollar business with pre-foreclosures and probates. So we're getting straight to the good stuff, guys. Uh, You'll also learn the ins and outs of the short sale business. So if you've heard of short sales, you're interested in short sales, we're going to break down that business here again on today's episode. We'll talk about some outside of the box follow-up systems with sellers so that you can close more deals. We'll talk about the seven key metrics that you need to track in your real estate business when it comes to marketing to sellers. So as you guys can see, there's there's a whole lot to cover, and I'm super excited for you guys to learn a little bit more about flipping probate, short sales, the whole follow-up marketing sequence, all these key metrics that need to be tracked. It's a jam-packed episode, so I want to get straight to it. But again, make sure that you're subscribed because I'm actually queuing up all my episodes for February in the next few days. You'll get all your normal Tuesday episodes, and we may even sprinkle in some Friday bonus episodes this month. So definitely subscribe so that you automatically get notified or the episode automatically downloads and you don't have to worry about checking back or missing a bonus episode. With that being said, we've been talking a whole lot about different real estate strategies and different real estate niches as of late. Oftentimes people ask me and people wonder, how do you build consistent leads or where are you getting your leads from? How do you know that you have quality leads? So on next week's episode, 
I'm actually going to share with you guys the software that I use. And I'm actually going to bring on a guest who works for that software company. And we're going to do a deep dive into exactly where I get my leads from and also why my leads convert so well. So you don't want to miss next week's episode and you don't want to miss next week's bonus episode. So without any further ado, let's go ahead and get into the tip of the week and then we'll get right into the show. DeRay's Tip of the Week. I've gotten a lot of great feedback from episode 141 of this podcast, which was the first episode that dropped this year titled The 5 AM Club, and it highlighted my morning routine and what's most important to me in 2020 and how important it is for me to knock out my KPIs, which are the key things in my business that need to be done on a consistent basis above all else that actually will keep my business moving forward. So I crafted a morning routine around knocking that out. Uh, with the eat the frog mentality. The eat the frog mentality is just basically doing the hardest thing in your business or the most important thing in your business first. So if you want to learn a whole lot more about my morning routine and how that's broken down and how all of that relates to real estate, listen to episode 141. I'll break down how I wake up at 5 a.m. The first few things I do in the morning, learning Spanish is something that I've taken seriously for the past month. And I uh, set aside some time, 30 minutes a day to learn that my workout routine and then straight to my KPIs. And then by 10 o'clock, the most important things of my day have already been done. And this is the time where most people are just now getting started with their day. Whereas my day, if I didn't do a single thing after 10 o'clock, I'd be well accomplished. So check out that episode. But I've had a few people take me up on that offer and actually start to wake up or at least try to wake up at 5 a.m. And it's been a real struggle. So I want to talk about some things that I picked up from, I believe, uh, the Miracle Morning. Um, a few things that I picked up from the Miracle Morning that helped me get my butt into gear and really wake up at 5 a.m. every single morning. I actually wake up at 445. But I have five things for this tip of the week. That will help you get into gear and really be able to wake up at 5 a.m. so that you can knock out the most important things in your life, like your workout, your time for yourself, your visualizations, meditations even. Um, and then your KPIs, of course. And everybody has their own routine. Like I know Jamie Foxx's routine. He literally wakes up every single morning and he texts all the people that he loves. And I think that's a beautiful way to start your morning. But everybody has their own and you can kind of construct yours how you see fit. But this tip of the week is really to help you. Just wake up in the first place. So first and foremost, I'm big on mindset. And the key to having a great morning and to not being groggy or tired is literally to prep your mind the night before. So let's just say there are five levels of like you just being super alert and super awake. One being super groggy and five being all the way up when you wake up in the morning. If you just prep yourself The night before, whether that's journaling about what the day tomorrow will look like, whether that's setting out your workout clothes, whether that's just um, taking a few seconds, 30 seconds to appreciate the fact that you get to wake up in the morning and look forward to an exciting day. Doing that alone, no matter how much sleep you're getting, whether it's four hours that night or eight hours that night, just prepping yourself to have a beautiful morning, a beautiful day. Not, hey, I'm going to bed super late. I know I'm going to be tired. Like going to bed with that thought. That lingers. How you go to sleep is how you wake up. So regardless of what time it is, what you got going on, what happened that day, you go to bed knowing that tomorrow's a new day and you get a fr- and you get a brand new start. So prepping the night before is number one. Number two is buy an alarm. 
not your phone alarm, buy an alarm clock, an actual physical digital alarm clock and um, set it across the room. Reason you can't use your phone or I can't use my phone rather is because my phone lies with me, goes to sleep beside me and it doesn't leave my side. And you're actually more prone to just tell yourself it's okay to hit the snooze button. Right. And then roll over or it's okay to turn off your alarm and then roll over and go back to sleep. But if you set an alarm clock across the way, you have to get out of bed. And that puts you at a level two position as far as waking up, as far as feeling energized for the day, just having to get up and do that process. So I actually set mine all the way in the bathroom. So get this. Number three is to actually brush your teeth. I know all this sounds basic and remedial, but I guarantee you, if you do these things, you'll wake up at 5 a.m. every morning and you'll love it. You'll be great. You'll be fine. Uh, you'll be able to do it. Now, the first two weeks on average is going to be it's going to be hard. It's going to be treacherous. You're going to be like, oh, my goodness, I can't do this. Um, but it's always ugly in the in the beginning. And it's messy in the middle. And I got this quote from Robin Sharma, but it's messy in the middle. So what that means is, yeah, in the beginning, it's going to be really hard. You're going to feel like there's no way I can do this every single day. But eventually, it's going to get a little bit easier. Next three-week cycle is pretty gorgeous. It's pretty amazing. You start to appreciate it and reflect on it. So the third thing I do is I brush my teeth. So that gets you to a level three. You got that minty flavor going on. It kind of wakes you up a little bit more. So you're at that level three. Right after that, number four is drink eight ounces of water. Drink eight ounces of water every single morning. And if you have to take medicine or whatever you do in the morning, hey, this is the time that you can do all that while you drink your eight ounces of water. But make sure that you drink eight ounces of water and have it be as cold as possible, if possible. And last but not least, if you work out in the morning, those clothes that you set out the day before, grab those, put them on and head to your workout. Or grab those, put them on and start your yoga. Grab those, put them on and start your meditation. However you begin your morning, that's going to get you to that level five. So again, first thing is prep the night before. Second thing is set your alarm across the room. Third thing is brush your teeth. Fourth thing is drink eight ounces of water. And fifth, get dressed. I hope you have a prosperous 5 a.m. and you join the 5 a.m. club. And now your feature presentation. We have not one, but two amazing guests on today's show. And not only do we have Mr. Jason Roberts, but we have Mrs. Rachel Snyder. Rachel and Jason, how's it going today? Very good. Very good. How are you? Awesome. I'm doing well. Life gets better and better every single day. So let's get into you guys' story. Let's go ahead and take it back into the time machine. And we'll start with Jason. That's a great question, man. Um, And I haven't been asked that. And as you asked it, it made me kind of think back to some of the stupid stuff I did as a kid that was uh, money. You know, um, my my dad bailed on me and my two brothers and my mom when I was 12. So a single mom with three boys that, you know, she, she was very important to her that she could provide. It was important to her that, you know, we could wear the same kind of clothes that all the other kids at school were wearing and, and kind of as the oldest man, I don't know. Um, that was a hard gig for me because I saw all that she was sacrificing. You know, I mean, she was the type that would never ever buy herself a new pair of shoes. She would never ever buy herself new clothes, you know, she, so that me and my brothers could have. Um, so at a young age, man, that, that had an impact on me and it, and it bothered me, you know, it bothered me to see, I didn't want her to struggle like that. So, um, First thing that I could think of, man, was uh, I had a shop class. I don't even know how, well, maybe freshman in high school, I had a shop class and we set up this little gambling. I mean, it wasn't like gambling. It was like 
crafts and just stupid games like that that we would play. Um, but we kind of created a, a circle of it and I built it as me being the house. And next thing you know, man, we had before class, I mean, the teachers would play and it was no, it was no big thing. You know what I mean? It wasn't like we were betting thousands of bucks or anything, but we were betting five, 10 bucks. And um, I don't even know if Rachel knows about that, to be honest, <laughs> but, but that, uh, that was kind of my first, like it happened on accident, but that was kind of my first exposure to like, okay, um, I can do something that, that makes money by putting people together, I guess, in a way. Um, and then a couple, couple other short ones. Um, when I was 18, I bought this Mustang GT and the tires were, I don't know, 300 bucks a pop or something, which was pricey. And I, I just started doing research on, um, how I could, how I could get tires as a wholesaler. I, I had no intention of opening a tire store. I just wanted to get my own stuff for cheaper. And the very first and only job that I ever had was at a, at a pretty big company. And, and, that stemmed into electronics, big screens, stuff like that, that I figured out how to get a dealer's license from Panasonic, from Sony, from all those different companies. And while I was at this day job, you know, people would come and say, hey, can you get this for me? Can you get this for me? Um, and it was, I guess it was Amazon before it was Amazon, right? Um, there, there, it was, uh, was kind of like a drop ship type thing. They would pay me, I'd pay the supplier and then and, and it would show up. So um, yeah, man, that, that's my kind of two cents on... Uh, Early, early on age, you know, of just uh, kind of on accident, seeing an opportunity really kind of starting from myself to, well, I could help others. I could, I could give people a better price and get paid for it. I'm drawing parallels because I, I noticed people that get into real estate these days, or I guess anytime really, um, most people struggle with the confidence. You're also thinking that this can and possibly will never happen for you. It's kind of you shooting yourself in the foot. So I think about the progression that you had, you know, I started uh, one of the first businesses I built when I wanted to leave my job was a dropshipping store. Yep. I was still in high-end furniture and I did the exact same thing. I went to go um, reach out to a bunch of suppliers, get a bunch of contracts. They allowed me to put all their uh, products on my store. And then I, I sold it uh, via my Shopify store and I was, make, I was making good money, but it was the first time I saw that I've created something myself and it's actually working. Before that, I was just always in the system. So I think that confidence kind of led to progression after progression after progression. Yeah. You, you, you bring up such an awesome point that I, that I hadn't even really thought about. But, you know, I think one of the same words as uh, you said, lack of confidence. And I think another way to say that would be uh, fear, right? Or uncertainty. And you explain in your story of how those things happen at a young age. Um, I think we started to build... Uh, certainty around those decisions. Like I, I didn't think anything of the tire thing. I did it. It worked. It made money. So I got certainty from that. And then the electronics and then, you know, so that by the time we opened a real business, I, I didn't even question it, man. I didn't, I, you know what? I, and I think yeah. you're basically. That's, that's saying this exactly. is, yeah, we, that's exactly it. We had that built in certainty and uh, you're right. So many people that are a little apprehensive to take action. I think it's because of those, you know, lack of those pillars, lack of those, uh, reference points to say success, 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 pretty good chance is going to be success when you don't have any of that and you're 30, 40 years old and it's, it's, it's a different story. Oh know? yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So, so, so Rachel, let me ask you this, you know, you, you've heard about him. I'm sure you've heard Jason's, you know, origin story a million times, but you've heard little pieces that you haven't heard before, but you know, tell us about your origin story and walk us up until the point where you and Jason actually meet. 
Okay. So Jason and I actually met in high school. Um, we grew up in a small kind of farming community, a little bit outside of St. Louis. And I didn't grow up in an environment where I saw success that much. You know, I mean, the bills were paid and you had clothes on your back and you had all of those things, but I never really saw people that were always leveling up, that were always kind of reaching for more. And I knew that I wanted to create something completely different. Um, And I also wanted that certainty that myself, as well as any other responsibilities that I ever brought into this world, I could take care of them completely on my own. There was never any reliance on anybody else for that. And we really kind of made a pact, as weird as it is, like I can actually envision us sitting in, I think you had like a white escort at the time. And we kind of made this pact and a commitment that we were going to create a new normal for ourselves, for our children, for, you know, generations really, you know, that kind of legacy. And we were going to do it for ourselves. We weren't going to rely on, I'm going to college, I'm getting this great job because you can do all of those things right. And you'll be the last person to know that your paycheck's not coming next, Mm -hmm. you know, and we wanted to be completely reliant upon, I put this out and this is what comes back to me. I love that. You said that you would be the last person to know that your paycheck is not coming. That really hit home for me because I I talk about it all the time. I mean, people see so much risk in in just this arena in general, just real estate. And, you know, there's risk in in flipping, there's risk in rentals, the market this. And, you know, I'm just like, everything is risky. Tomorrow, living tomorrow is risky, right? And, you know, I was fortunate and unfortunate, I guess, at the time. But to me, I was so fortunate to have lost job after job. Like I lost both of my corporate jobs. I knew that there was no stability there. Did you guys ever enter the workforce? We did for a real short period of time. Um, I graduated high school, left home in college, working 40 hours a week. And Jason's story is very similar to this. Um, We had one kind of job, I guess. And I did that for a little over a year. And then we, then we opened up the mortgage business and became entrepreneurs. One of my aha moments was when I'm looking at the, the balance sheet and the income statements of the people I'm working for, and I'm seeing how much in real estate and how much profit and what they're making. And I'm just like, dude, this is insane. So tell me what was the light bulb moment for you guys to think that, oh, I'm just going to jump into the mortgage business. Man, well, uh, go ahead. Go ahead, Rachel. Oh, you go ahead. Uh, the light bulb for me was uh, we, we both took that same job. It was at a collection agency. Um, and th- the difficult part about that was that it paid really, really well, man. Um, you know, it, it, <laughs> the hours are horrible though. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. The hours are terrible. The, the, I mean, unless you just like getting cussed out and beat up for eight hours a day, it's not, not a fun job. Um, but at 18 years old, I'm making 70, 75 grand a year. Uh, my buddies are going to Mizzou, getting a four-year degree, and they're they're hoping that after they graduate with 100000 in student loans that they're going to get a job that pays half of what I'm already getting paid. So, it, you know, and again, with no real male influence or, or really influence at all of that matter, um, to me it was hundred grand in student loans, maybe get a job or keep this one for 75. So kept the one for 75, but your question was the light bulb moment. And that for me was, man, I just, I remember walking into this ocean of cubicles and seeing 
30 year old, I mean, I'm, I'm 18, you know, I'm seeing 30 year old people, 40 year old people, 50 year old people, 60 year old people, um, in this ocean of cubes. And it was, it was kind of an overwhelming feeling of, man, I don't know what God put me on this earth to do, but I know I'm not supposed to be in that cube in 30 years from now. I know that much. And one of the guys that worked at the collection agency did the same job as me. He left and went into the mortgage business. And my boss, Sean Ebling, was good friends with this guy. So my boss comes to me and he's like, hey, you're never going to believe this, that Kevin Boston, he made a hundred and something thousand dollars his first year in the mortgage business. And I kind of schlepped it off. That was about what I was making at that point. And I was like, oh, good for him. You know, that's cool. 12 months later, he came to me and said, man, you're never going to believe this, that Kevin Boston, he's got almost a uh, video. He's made almost $300,000 so far. This is his second year in the mortgage business. And I said, no way. Um, this wasn't, Kevin's the nicest guy in the world, but you would not, you know, you encounter somebody and you're like, man, they just have a great personality. They're probably good at sales. Um, he wasn't that guy. Um, and so we went to lunch and I, I called him on it, man. I said, man, I, I don't believe it. And he reached into his wallet and he opened it up real slow. Um, and he pulls this thing out and he slides it across the table and it's a pay stub. And it was like 286 grand. Um, and this was in October probably of, um, probably in 99, October of 99. Um, and so that was it for me, man. I, I looked at that pay stub and I said, helping people buy their first house sounds like more fun than calling somebody who hasn't paid their discover card in six months. And 300 grand is better than 100 grand done. Um, and, and that was, that was really the decision making process behind it, man. Nothing more than that. I love that. So, so what did you, did, did you page Rachel? Like how did you get in contact with Rachel at the time to let her know what was going on and what you were thinking? Um, I, I don't know. I don't know exactly <laughs> how that took place. Well, um, we together at that time, yeah. the collection agency. So I'm sure it was a conversation and I don't, it's weird cause I don't really even remember it specifically. Um, but I'm sure it was, Hey, I'm doing this. And I know for me, like I had had that light bulb of, Oh man, if I ever like, when I get married, when I have a family, I can't work these types of hours that you work at the collection agency. I mean, you had to work two nights till seven. You had to, if not nine o'clock, you had to work every other Saturday. I was struggling just to go to college and go to work and do both of those things. But I had to work because I had bills to pay. Right. Um, and so I'm like, this could be an opportunity, right? Like this could be that, that opportunity to do something different and knowing him, I'm like, you're going to probably need me. You're going to need me for those detail <laughs> sides of things that you have a lot of strengths, but those details are not always your strengths. And I can absolutely bring that to the table. Oh my goodness. The foresight, Rachel, the foresight. Yeah. I know that. <laughs> so, so it, this, this guy's, does he, does he become your mentor, uh, Jason, or, or how does, how does, how does, the business now transpired? Do you go and buy an existing mortgage business? Do you start from scratch? Walk me through that process. You want me to take it? Um, yeah, go ahead. I, I guess, uh, man, yeah, I'll tell you exactly what happened. I called down to the state of Missouri and said, hey, what does it take to open up a mortgage company in Missouri? And they said, hey, we'll, we'll send you the packet. What's your address? And so they shipped me this book of all the stuff you have to have, right? And I mean, it's literally a checklist of this and this and this and all, all these different things, um, background check the whole bit. And after going through all of it, there were only two things that I was really worried about that I didn't have um, or that I want, didn't know how I was going to do. One was a million dollar surety bond, which at 19 years old, I didn't even know what that meant, but it sounded really scary, right? I, um, 
And then number two, 50 grand in cash, um, which I also did not have. And so the first thing was, you know, I, I kind of asked around, talked to some people, called some insurance agents and come to find out, you know, if you've got a decent credit score, a million dollar surety bond at the time, a couple thousand bucks, no big deal. Um, so now we got the one thing, which is the 50 grand in cash. And I literally, you know, spent the next 12 months living like a hermit, saving every bit of my checks, saving all my bonus checks, not really going out, eating freaking hamburger helper, ramen noodles, whatever it is, um, saving every bit of money that I could save until I had that 50,000 bucks. And uh, it was wow. April, April 15th, 2001, like two weeks after my 21st birthday was, uh, I walked out of that job. Um, I mean, I gave you notice and stuff, but that was, that was the, uh, that was the last day of corporate America for me. I'm getting a clear picture on the early stages of your entrepreneurial journey. I want to, I still want to have one more little segment on the mortgage company because I know that it wasn't all peaches and cream. I would know that it wasn't all roses, right? Walk me through, uh, a failure or maybe an apparent failure in this company that, that set you up for the later success that you've had in real estate investing. Oh, we had we had a real big, huge failure. Actually, um, <laughs> we did we did a lot of things right, but one thing I definitely know, like looking back, is we worked in that business. It owned us. I mean, we worked from six o'clock in the morning till midnight every day. You're worried about what day, what calendar day is it? How many loans have to fund today? And it started off like super simple, right? But it grew to a huge corporation. I mean, there were at one point 100 employees and it was the real deal. Jason ran that whole front side with our loan officers. I ran the whole backside of processing and underwriting. Um, so it, it plays to our strengths, right, for us to do that. And then 2007 happened. And, you know, for those of you that didn't experience it, I mean, it, it was across, it was worldwide, right? The entire economy was affected by this. So it wasn't just our business, but to give you an idea, there were 3,600 li you know, licensed mortgage brokers in the state of Missouri. And by the time it was all said and done, there were 300 of them left. And we were one of that 300. So just, just for that industry alone, you can see kind of that impact. You know, we walked in the office one day and there, you know, were 10 loans that were going to fund that day. And nine of them were no longer able to be approved because in that business, you know, you build up a pipeline, but those deals aren't done until that bank wires that money. That's when closing happens. And those programs were no longer available. Most of those banks are no longer even in business to this day, right? And we yeah. just started this extremely painful bleed from there. And it affected us professionally. It affected us personally. And I think the the biggest thing in that in looking back is, you know, we had allowed it to own us, but we weren't reckless. You know, we didn't go up out and get all this debt. You know, we did what the accountant said, you know, we had more debt than what we would, we have no debt in our business today, you know, because that's how we choose to, to build it. But, um, it really, it was outside of our control. We could work as hard as we wanted to and put in as many hours, but there was no way we were ever going to be able to build that back up, right? We were never going to be able to come back out of that again, regardless of how hard that we worked. And it took a couple years of that just exhaustion of everything that we had ever worked for um, 
to where we were like, we have to do something different, right? And from there, we kind of transitioned into doing loan modifications because we had so many of our previous clients who were now looking at losing their homes to foreclosure because if both incomes hadn't been lost from the home, most households had at least lost one income or pay cuts had happened. You know, everyone kind of felt this for the most part. And uh, we started doing loan mods and we thought this is our, this is it, right? This is our way that we can rebuild. We can start stacking up some money again. And the, to this day, 4% of people who apply for a loan modification actually get approved for a modification. And you can't build a business off 4%, right? And so we're thinking, this is not going to work either. Like this is not it, but there's something else. And we were talking to someone the other day and they were like, well, did you ever think about going back to a job, like to corporate America? And it's crazy, but we never, that never crossed my mind. It never crossed Jason's mind because we would have still been serving someone else. Even if we were going to have to be slaves and, you know, really have something on us, I at least want it to be ours, right? You know, that that feels a little bit better. Now looking back, no, it doesn't. But at the time, it seemed to make more sense. And um, then we were introduced to short sales. And that was absolute game changer for us at that point. Can you describe for my listeners, Rachel, exactly what is a short sale? So short sale is someone who is in the pre-foreclosure stage. So that would be, if you were interested in marketing to these people, that would be the type of data that you would pull, right? And so they may not have their foreclosure sale date yet, um, but it's coming. And depending on what state you live in, for instance, in Missouri, we have 21 days. So from the time they receive notice that the bank is going to foreclose on them, 21 days later is when their property can be auctioned off at the courthouse steps, right? For sale. And so some of these properties today that you encounter, they might have equity in them and they've just fallen on some type of hardship. And it's hard for us to wrap our mind around why they didn't list them on the MLS and sell it, but their state of mind is a, is a big reason why they didn't go that route. So sometimes you'll find equity, but in that area that, you know, in that time that we were in, property values, like homes were not worth what they were worth six months ago. And so all of these people were upside down. So you negotiate with the bank, whoever owns their mortgage to take less than what is actually owed on the property. And when we got into it, everybody was underwater, right? You know, you had these people, so the market we're in, you know, we don't, our average probably home price is $175,000, okay? So you'd have these people that they had a mortgage for 200 and the property's worth 150 today. Well, you can't sell that on the MLS, even in that scenario. No one's ever buying a home for more than it's worth. And so you negotiate with the bank for them to take less than what is owed. Um, there's some technicals on that, you know, negotiating away deficiencies and things like that. And you, if you live in a deficiency state, um, and as an investor, we come in and purchase that property at that reduced price. So let me ask you this, Rachel, because um, my second property ever, this is back in 2016, that, um, and I had probably tried to put maybe 10 or 15 properties under contract in Dallas, Texas. And um, people were just outbidding me. The market was super hot. And I finally found a beautiful property. The windows were like a garage type. It was it was amazing. It was immaculate. And I was just like, yes, like this is my next property. Um, I put a bid in for 205. And my bid got accepted by the owner. And I was super excited. I was going to work like, yes, my second property. I can't wait. This is so exciting. Yeah. And um, we're just kind of going through the normal mortgage process. 
And a few, maybe a few weeks later, it comes back and the owner didn't disclose this, the realtor didn't disclose this, but it comes back that the owner owed on the property, had a second lien against the property. So he owed on the property about 225 or 235, I don't remember. And this was my first time ever experiencing anything like that. I was like, okay, what does that have to do with me? Like, I mean, what's going on? Like, I already, I already got the property on the contract for two for two hundred five. So, I mean, what's up? Like, what happens next, right? Right. Um, and that's when I first learned this whole process. And ultimately, we tried to negotiate with the bank, and we were unsuccessful. I think that I don't know what the rules are. I'm sure you guys do, but I think that the bank was like, hey, we can't go lower than like eighty seven percent or of, of the of the value or something like it was some, something like that. I was willing to go up to 210, but that was about it. But ultimately, I wasn't in a position, I didn't have the expertise or the knowledge to know what to do if there was anything that I could do to negotiate further with the bank, right? So if, if you're in that position, what would you have done? So one thing, one thing I want to say before I give you that answer is to negotiate, which is what most real estate agents do, right? To negotiate a short sale for someone who's willing to pay far mac fair market value is a completely different skill set than negotiating a short sale that an investor is going to purchase because we have to build our profit into it, right? And so you will hear things like this 87% rule, you'll hear 82%. It is called short sale negotiations for a reason, right? And so there's always, there's no rules in negotiation. And so it's really, it, it's very property specific. And so when you get those immaculate properties, it's more about what's going on around it, you know, looking for other comparable properties to support your price, high days on market, even if the price isn't there, but high days on market, that, that will be their inventory that sits, right? If, if they're not able to do anything with it. Um, and so the, that would have been my, my approach because you did say that it was a nice looking property, right? So we're not going to use the fact that it's got deferred maintenance or anything like that. So we have to go from the angle of you can keep this house, but it's going to sit, right? Like the value isn't there. I would, a lot of times, always the banks will do either a broker price opinion, which is done by a real estate agent, or they will order a full blown, blown appraisal. I prefer the appraisals because that's what they do for a living, right? Um, but I would have, to fight in your situation, I would have gotten my own appraisal. I would have gotten every comp that had sold in the last, you know, 30, 60, 90 days, depending on what the market, you know, what it actually looked like. And I would have pulled every active and showed the high days on market because there likely probably were some high days on market. And I would have completed an, I would have, completed an entire package that really explained my case. Why you can take this property all day long, but the value is not there. You will never get that for it. My offer is your best offer. And here are all of the facts that support why my offer is the best offer. I love that. I love that so much. And again, that is why I'm not in the short sale business, right? Yeah. Um, so, but it, 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 I want to talk to, again, uh, this is something that we haven't yet been able to talk about in over 140 episodes, but, you know, this is, I feel like it can be a very long and strenuous process. And if you're not built for the process, um, it, it's going to eat you alive, right? Because the bank will sit on it. Like, I remember I, I had that property on contract for a good seven months, yeah. seven months, the bank will sit on it. So what, what are some of the things that you're doing to kind of nudge them, to get them to look at the file, to, to put it in front of them? Like, what, is there any tactics in that arena? When yeah. oh, go, ahead, go ahead, Rachel. 
Yeah, I was going to say, Jason, if you want to take that one, you're welcome to. Um, I, I think that uh, although you've been just answering the questions fantastically, Rachel. So um, if, if uh, for me, I think Rachel and I always referred to this as a, as a pipeline business. And, and what I mean by that is because of exactly what you just described. It may take two months to close this deal. We've had deals that took us a year and a half to close. Yeah. And it, it's an unknown timeline, right? Uh, you, you don't know. Is it going to be two months, six months, three months, two and a half weeks? Who knows? So we always looked at it as a pipeline business, not a one-off transaction. You know, if I'm, I'm, I'm marketing to probates, I get an accepted contract. I, I know that I'm going, going to closing on the closing date. Like we know that. Um, in this, we always looked at it as a pipeline. And so what, what I mean by that is, Meet with the homeowner, get the doc signed, get it up to the lender, go find another homeowner, get the doc signed, get it up to the lender, go find another homeowner, like make that a machine because they will close a very, a good percent of them will close. We just don't know when. So if we want to build consistency into that business, which we had very much consistency in that business. And a lot of our students have uh, short sale pipelines right now, 50, 60, 70 files active that they have under contract. Um, but we turned it into a pipeline business. And what, what, what we understood was that about 10% of however many active files we had at any given point would close on a monthly basis. Not close forever, but on a monthly basis. So if we had an active pipeline of 20 files, you know, 20 that were submitted to different lenders, that would, that would push out two to three closings a month like clockwork. Now we didn't know which ones, but what we knew is that if we wanted to close 10 deals a month, we needed 100 active files. If we wanted to close five a month, we needed 50. And that's, that's a big part of, of how we dialed that business in to be consistent. Um, that's gold. I think that is gold for any and everything you do in, this, in, this, in any arena, right? I know that you know, a lot of people, the, the best way to, one of the ways I got started investing was house hacking, right? And oftentimes people are using some of these no and low money down techniques. And you know, that's good for one deal, two deals, maybe even up to four deals. But after that, it's just like, okay, well, you've exhausted this. During that period, did you build an actual real estate business that brings you in leads? You have a pipeline of business yeah. to make sure that guarantees that you get leads every single every single month. And you guys said it so succinctly. So I love that, listeners. That that is the biggest nugget that I have for you guys. That is how you build an actual business. And you know, I started wholesaling maybe back in 2018. And one of the ways that I set myself apart, this may be breaking the rules, so you guys will probably tell me. One of the ways that I set myself apart was that I was in the service business. I was in the relationship business. You know, I remember so many opportunities, so many times where I would make an offer and somebody else would make a higher offer and they would still go with me because I wanted, I wanted to serve the homeowner, right? I thought about the fact that let's just say that a homeowner is going to, to foreclosure in the next two weeks. What I would do is I would get them to sign my, my uh, release of authorization. I would try to get on the phone with their banks and negotiate that loan mod. Okay, because I'm trying to negotiate that loan mod, they now trust me. They now see that I have their best interest at hand. So if and when, because most times people always think they're going to be able to get out of there. Something's going to happen. They're going to run into some money. Like, you know, people were optimistic by nature. So once, you know, four or five, six days rolls around right before the, pre, the, the, the foreclosure date and the loan mod wasn't accepted and, you know, grandma's not going to lend you the money. Well, that one wholesaler who literally has helped me like 
as if like he's not even interested in, 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 in you know, buying the property anymore. That's the one person I'm going to turn to. And that, that, that literally was the key for me. So building up relationships. So I want to talk about the next phase in you guys' entrepreneurial journey because you guys went to loan lots. Then you guys went to short sales. And it looks like things maybe started dying out in those arenas and you had to switch focus for a little bit. What, what, was, the next, uh, what was the next, I guess, uh, destination for you guys? Well, it was 2010 um, when we got into doing short sales. 2011 was a crazy year for us. And unfortunately, we had made the mistakes where we allowed that business to own us also. Um, we were not just doing our own deals. And so, for instance, we, we closed 100 deals in 2011. Um, and, and then we started opening it up and doing short sale negotiations for other people. So we, we are versed in this around the country, right? And we had built this big machine again, and we were serving it a hundred percent. And one day we're like, man, we're bringing in a lot of money, but we are paying out a lot of money. And we also aren't experiencing these freedoms and we had tapped in with a mentor that kind of really put that challenge out there of, you know, anybody can do what you guys are doing if they want to work the way that you're working. What would be really cool is for you guys to build this thing and work four hours a day, right? And, and enjoy life and do these other things. And so um, Jason really subscribed to that prior to me. I was a little hesitant. and um, But I was in, in late 2010, I was pregnant. I, I, had, I actually just had my uh, first kid and was thinking, I, I probably need to subscribe to this, right? Or I might as well have just been sitting back at that collection agency or stayed in the mortgage business. And we both really put that emphasis and I started seeing him doing it and things weren't falling apart. And so we took our team down. We, we actually helped everybody on our team find other jobs and we took our team down to just the basics. And that first year that we were in, um, in real estate, all we did was wholesale or wholesale. We did not rehab any of them. And so there were people, you know, even today that would look at that business model and say, you guys left hundreds of thousands of dollars on the closing table, right? But we were flat broke from getting wiped out. That's what we had to do to rebuild ourselves. And we thought, man, let's start cherry picking some of these deals and start rehabbing them. And I mean, we made phenomenal profits. I mean, we did six-figure deals that we wholesaled, you know, um, but those those weren't every one of them. But we knew we could probably, with with less overhead and um, more focused time on what we really should be doing, we could experience some freedom. So we started rehabbing more. Uh, we got into probates. At the time, HUD had a decent inventory uh, uh, on the five counties that we market in. And so we started putting in HUD bids because a lot of people didn't even know anything about that. Um, and what else were we dabbling in around then, Jason, um, besides the, the probates? Um, yeah, I mean, we, we definitely started to focus on probate. It was kind of a faster way to the finish line. Yeah. You know, there's no bank. There's no lender. You know, we wrote a contract. If it got accepted, we went to closing. Um, you mentioned the HUD stuff, man. We figured out. Oh, guys, real quick, just like we did, just like we did short sales. What's a probate? Yep. So probate is. I mean, there's no easy way to say it. Let's say that my mom and dad pass away, and they live in Richmond, um, and I live here in St. Louis. And let's also pretend that I'm like 76% of America, and I live paycheck to paycheck. And and what seemed like a financial blessing. Um, 
that I inherited this $200,000 house in Texas that's free and clear. The tough part about that is I don't, I, I can't take off work for a week to go down there and sort through the last 30 years of mom and dad's stuff that they decided to save every single thing. Um, I, I can't pay for a dumpster and movers to get rid of the stuff that we don't want. I can't pay for a moving crew to haul that stuff all back here to St. Louis. And Oh yeah, by the way, now I got to pay taxes. Now I got to pay insurance. Now I got to pay utilities. Now, you know what I mean? Now this is my, this is my responsibility. So where probate comes in is somebody like us would, would send a letter and say, Hey, we, you know, we realize that you just maybe inherited a home and we help people that are in this situation every day. And, we really just wanted to reach out and see what we could do to help you. Um, you nailed it earlier on the price thing when you said that they would take your price because they liked you. Um, I, one of the biggest mistakes I see is you know investors competing with price. It's it's it isn't about price. Um, and you also nailed it when you started off this podcast when you said no like trust, and I, I, that's especially in probate. Um, the majority of the deals we closed were five or $10,000 less on an offer than what they had already received, but they sold the house to us because they knew us, they, they got to know us, they liked us, they trusted us, they, they knew that we were gonna do what we said we were gonna do. And you know, at the closing table, almost every time, the seller's in tears, they're giving us a hug, they're saying, thank you so much for your help. Right. And we're like, no, oh my God, thank you. You know, like, the, and, and then, they are ecstatically happy and, and we walk away with a $50,000 check. I mean, it's the coolest thing ever, right? When you, it is OMG. <laughs> I love that. I love that. So, so, so uh, just because we're limited on time, like I could literally guys, I'm not lying. I could talk to you guys for the next hour and a half, <laughs> but, but I want to get down. I want to get to some strategy. So, so let's, let's walk up until present day and, and you guys are currently focused on, and I know that you guys, you guys do a ton of other things, but the main real estate strategy that you guys are focused on are flips. Uh, yeah, we're, we're, we do some holding now that's come in the last couple of years as we're thinking about, Hey, we might be, you know, needing to okay, save up a little know. bit more, right. You know? Um, but we, we are in and out of every property. Um, we do more from, from the strategies that we're using. Um, we do probates, we still do the pre foreclosure. So many people think that those are, you know, have died out and there definitely aren't as many, but I am in the last probably six months seeing an increase on those filings that are actually mm -hmm. happening. Mm -hmm. Um, we also focus on evictions, you know, people who the, the greatest, um, percentage of our population is baby boomers. Well, they're, they're all hitting that retirement. And some of them had these, you know, onesie twosie rentals, you know, some of them even had decent portfolios, but they're a headache. They never got the education on how to run them correctly and they want to exit out of them. And so we pull eviction filings. Everything we do is, is really public knowledge data. That's very easy for you to access. And so we market to them. And even if it's not a property we want to hold, someone else can buy it and live in it, right? Or we can wholesale it off to a different landlord. It doesn't have to be a rental for us just because it was their rental. Um, and then we focus on a local bank strategy that we kind of, that was one other strategy that we were doing back then, Jason, and we had kind of yeah, stumbled right. across that, you know, these local banks. And so what I mean by that is, you know, there's maybe two to 10 branches, your local credit unions, things that are, you know, they only have banks in your area, in your state. 
they, they lend money for mortgages. They lend money. Actually, what I really love about this is they lend on commercial properties. They lend on multifamily. They lend on lots for any of you guys that want to develop. And then they lend on single family residents and banks are in the business of lending money, not buying, not, not selling real estate. And so they let their inventory sit. Local banks are regulated by the FDIC and they can only have a certain amount of bad bad deals kind of sitting on their books and they've got to unload those things and we tap into that you know they may not have something today that's more of that relationship kind of building thing but I mean there's been times that from one contact we've had eight properties that they've had sitting to go and look at you know yeah. I, I look at eight properties there's one of them that's going to fit right um, and the idea is when they do get those properties that you're the first person that they actually think of. So those are really the strategies that we've worked in. You know, we, we invest those ways, but then we also, you know, teach and offer kind of that marketing blueprint because your marketing is so important. I love what you said about, you know, you don't build a business reliant upon someone else feeding you your deals and you might close a deal or two here and there, but whether you want to close one deal a year or you want to close 10 deals a month, you need to run it like it's a business. And mm -hmm. every business that is successful, they have marketing. And so your first first task is to become a marketing expert, right? Because you've got to be able to create those relationships and, and it all comes from your marketing. I love that. And you, you, you succinctly went into the very next strategy portion of the show. Oh. I want to talk about marketing. I want to talk about how you can, how you guys achieve at least a 10% response rate, which is amazing. Um, but I have a side tangent question as it pertains to marketing before we get to that. So listeners, hold for that. Now, let's just say you guys are marketing, right? You guys are sending out direct mail pieces or whatever the case may be. And you're marketing to a specific type of list, whatever the case may be. But accidentally, somebody who owns some land right? Looks at one of your marketing pieces and they're like, Hey, like I'm selling my land. Would you guys buy it? What do you guys, are you guys always looking for how can I make this a deal where you guys are like, no, I'm not in the land investing business. So I'm going to pass this off. Like what are, what are, what are you guys' philosophy when it comes to things like that? Man, I, I'm, I'm not going to go too sideways off of what our wheelhouse is. Um, but as you, as you kind of get into this more, so one of the guys that Rachel and I coached, he was, one of the top three, who's number three largest builder in Missouri for a long time. Um, and in 07 wiped out like everyone else. Uh, I mean, these guys are running hundred million dollar businesses wiped to zero. Craziest thing. Uh, anyway, we coached him after the crash and uh, he got back on his feet. He started kind of doing basement remodels and stuff like that. I mean, imagine this guy that, you know, is probably building 50, 60, hundred houses a month. I don't know. Uh, and now he's, you know, remodeling basements and he's doing the work himself, but he, he got back on his feet. He built it back up and he started doing teardowns, um, you know, in the nicer parts of St. Louis, he would, he would go in, he would tear down the cheaper house and he'd build a, you know, hundred built $900,000 house, million dollar house, you know, in, in these areas where you can't get lots anymore. So in your, in your situation, I think proximity is important. I think your circle is important. The people you spend time with is important. Um, you know, one of the very first thing Rachel and I would have done if we came across a lot would have been, we'd have made a couple phone calls and said, Hey, uh, you guys interested in a lot in this area. And if the answer was yes, you know, what, what would you pay for it? You know, here's the size of it. Here's approximately where it's at. Um, they know their numbers. They're not trying to negotiate. If they can buy the lot for this, they know their, their spread is made on the house, not, not the land really. So and then we could negotiate 
backwards off of that. Um, I, we wouldn't go too sideways with, you know, I mean, we're not doing. Not build the house. Yeah, that's right. I love that. So I'm going to I'm going to approach this uh, this strategy portion in a little bit of a different way than I would normally do it. I'm actually going to talk about my process and I want you guys to show me how I can get my response rate to 10 percent. So let's just say that, you know, uh, I cold call to get my leads. Right. And the way I typically would want to cold call is I'm making at least three cold calls to every single contact. Right. If let's, I'm assuming they're not picking up. So we're at least going to try three times. OK. okay. We tried three times, they're not picking up. We automatically put them in a follow-up sequence, an email follow-up sequence, okay? Because we also have their email addresses. Follow-up sequence lasts maybe six months. It could last longer. So either you're going to respond and you're going to, uh, you're going to be interested or you're going to unsubscribe, right? We yeah. also send out one or two mailers during, during that period. So we, all, we have all these touch points, right? And ultimately, I know that the fortune is in the follow-up. Like nine times out of 10, you're never going to get a deal on that first call. And that's what my follow-up sequence looks like. What can you guys add in addition to my follow-up sequence that I may be missing to increase my response rate? Oh man, I got all kinds of stuff. Um, all right. So Rachel and I are big fans of, you know, if you've read the book, Guerrilla Marketing, um, which was probably written 20, 30 years ago, but, but the, the premise behind it is hit the prospect from as many different angles as you possibly can. Um, Rachel always describes it as, you know, what, what is, what is your preferred method of communication? Um, you, you can mail me for the next five years. I am never going to see it. <laughs> um, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not even going to know that you sent it. You can probably call me and I'm never going to answer when I'm, when I'm busy, when it's such a distraction, it's such a mess for me. I intentionally, I, I can't stand it when the phone rings and I don't like it because everything that I have in my business is already scheduled. So when, when I, you know, when, yeah, we may work four hours a day, three or four days a week, but it is very intentional. It's very on purpose, and it's it's to the minute. Um, anyway, so what first thing that I would add, that I would suggest that you do, is a slide broadcast, a ringless voicemail message. So first thing in the morning between 8 and 9 a.m., message number one, okay? Second thing that I would do is probably sometime between 6 and 7 p.m. the same day, Day number one, hit them with a second ringless voicemail. And that second voicemail needs to say, hey, it's Jason. I left you a message earlier this morning. I had a couple minutes. I thought I'd try you again since I hadn't heard back. Uh, to get this in the next hour or so, give me a call. Here's my number. Bye. Um, it's very unprofessional. It's very like if you were leaving me a message, if I was calling Rachel, hey, it's Jason. Um, I left you a message like two hours ago. What's up? Like, Call me back. Bye. Um, it's it's kind of like that. Um, so that would be innovative. I like that a lot. Most people, most people would have the premise, oh no, I don't want to contact them too much, or I'm bugging them, or I'm being, you know, I'm being a pester, or whatever the case may be. But no, it's just like, hey, like if I called you, tell I expect for you to call me back. I'm not thinking that I'm marketing to you. No, like, hey, I called you, call me back. <laughs> right. Yep. Exactly. Yep. Um, and I think just when when I heard everything that you're saying, and I might have missed one of them, but social media. I mean, just where we're at in our world today. You know, if you go out to eat and look around everybody's on their phone. Everybody is. And so we incorporate in part of our blueprint that we teach is a Facebook message. Um, because there are, you know, you would get Jason through a Facebook message. You'll never catch him through the mail. You won't get him on the phone likely, but he pays attention, pays attention to his messenger because we use it for our business. And so you, if you were to personally inbox him a message, 
he would see it there. And so we incorporate that in with everything. Um, so, so those social media things and people are always so worried about it. But when you really think about it, they're able, you know, that no like trust. Everybody creeps everybody's Facebook, right? Like I don't hire anybody on our team unless I have looked through all of everything that you've got going on. I mean, that's just what we do. I, I, did, it, I did it today before we got on the podcast. I sent you a friend request and I, I kind of looked through to see what does he teach? What is he about? Who is right. he? Who is he? You know? Um, yeah. yeah. And, and that's a great way they get to know you a little bit. They get to see you. And so many people I think that are in the investing business are wanting to get into the investing business. They, they, I have to be a real estate investor. No, you just have to be you, right? Like you just need to be you. If, if at your real job, you're a firefighter, go be the firefighter. Even when you're sitting there meeting with them, this is just also what you do. Yeah. So much gold, guys. So much gold. I need to write you guys a check before this episode is over with. <laughs> I'll um, give you my address. <laughs> so, so guys, do we have another 15 minutes? Do we, can we do 15 minutes? Yeah, we're have, having a blast. Oh, yeah. Perfect. perfect. So I want to talk about, I want to talk about maybe now that we know maybe how to market and you guys have dropped so many value bombs. It's insane. Like I hope the listeners, I hope you guys are viscerally writing down these notes and going to implement this like immediately. Right. Cause if you don't do it now, when are you going to do it? I want to talk about, speaking of writing stuff down and keeping track of it, how important is it for you to keep track of these metrics? Is it something that, that's kind of like in the, in, the, in the, you know, like back burner, you just, hey, whenever I get to it, or do you have to look at your metrics every single month and know what to improve on, which I know the answer, but, but how important is it for you to really track these metrics? Yeah. Can I, uh, can I okay. give them, can I give every, as a, as a business consultant, as a coach, you know, Rachel and I coach guys that are doing 20, 30 flips a month. Um, and we've, we've helped them build their business to that point. And, and I share that not to be like, hey, look at me. I share it because if you can build a blueprint or a map to get you to 25 closings in a month, surely we can build a map to get to two closings in a year. You know what I mean? So, and, and, and the reality of this is, how many $30,000 deals do you need to have a drastic impact on your life? How many $30,000 deals do you need to quit corporate America? It's not 20 a month. I promise you that. Um, even if you're a high income earner. So uh, everybody, if you're taking notes, write this down. This is, if you keep track of these things, we can fix your business in five to 10 minutes. Okay. <laughs> Column number one is marketing out. Okay. So now you can subcategory that if you're like the extremely detailed person, I am not. So if you're like me, What's up, categorize? Yeah, <laughs> Rachel is tracking. So what are we saying? <laughs> yeah, when we say marketing out, I would just track our overall amount of marketing that we sent out. Rachel's going to subcategory that into how many Facebook messages did we send? How many letters did we send? How many emails did we send? How many ringless voicemails did we send? Either way, when you total up all those subcategories, you're going to get a total, and that's our marketing out. That's column number one. Okay, number two is inbound response. So this should get measured every single day. So inbound response. If somebody responds to an email, that's an inbound response. If somebody calls from a ringless voicemail, inbound response. Somebody calls off of our letter, inbound response, right? So that's our inbound response. Column number three is meaningful conversations. So out of the people that responded, how many meaningful conversations were we able to have? Okay, so that's, that's number three. And by meaningful, I just mean a... A normal conversation, you, you got to talk to them and you got to, to communicate a little bit. Even if they said, we're not selling right now, I would still count that as a, as a conversation. I'm trying to differentiate between the leads that responded and the ones we actually talked to. Because it, it, as crazy it is, as it is, 
there's a big disconnect with investors that the leads call in and they never actually talk to them, um, which is crazy, but we all do it. So meaningful conversations. Column number four is appointment set. So out of the meaningful conversations, how many appointments did you set? Number five is offers made. So how many offers did you make? Com number six is offers accepted. Com number seven is deals closed. The reason, reason why these are important is because this allows me to identify, Rachel and I use a lot of different personality profile tests with our students, with, with, with people that we're trying to build businesses for. I need to know if you are entrepreneur, entrepreneur, manager, technician. I need to know if you are um, decisive decision-making or if you're more on the reserve side. I need to know if you're the person who needs to know step seven before you start step one. Um, and you know all these things because the reality of the situation is you may be remarkably good at marketing, making the phone ring, coming up with creative pieces, but you may be horrific as a salesperson. Now, I mean, I don't mean that in a bad way. Um, Rachel and I had a client that paid us a large five-figure amount of money to come to our office. She was a CPA. Um, she owned a CPA firm in Tucson, Arizona for like 25 years. She sold the CPA firm, got a big, big check and said, I'm, I'm done. Um, I want to use this money to invest in real estate. I don't want to spend the next five years figuring it out. I want to write you a check. I'm going to come to St. Louis for a week and you guys are going to build the whole business for me. So we did that. We did everything from designed out all of her marketing campaigns we helped her uh, with her infrastructure, with her systems, with her processes, with our CRM, with, with all these different tools that we, and we set the whole thing up. Basically plug and play that she could bring back to Tucson, right? And she calls me after she gets back, probably a week after she gets back and she says, oh my gosh, Jason, Rachel, this was the best money I ever spent. Thank you so much for doing this. My phone is ringing off the hook. I can't even keep track of all these calls. And, you know, obviously when you're in a business where you charge for things that most important thing should be is that your customers are happy. So we're feeling like awesome. You know, she, she feels like she got 10 times what she paid. Good. We went, you know, we won. Um, she calls me back a week later and she's irate mad. Um, you ripped me off that you shouldn't. Have, and, and I'm like, what the hell? Um, she, <laughs> she, uh, very first thing I go to go to, to is the metrics right off the bat. So column number one, right? Marketing out. She's going over with me how much marketing she sent out. I know that number was good, all right? When somebody tells me I sent out 10 letters, well, no wonder. Um, so her marketing out is good. I say, okay, Kathy, column number two, inbound response. How many calls did you get? How many calls came in? Um, she was somewhere in the 10 to 12% response range. So I know that our data is good. I know that our marketing message is good because we're getting a 12% response rate. So the problem isn't there. So now I say, how many conversations did you have? And she said, I answered every single one of them. Every, every single one of those people that called in, I don't remember if it was 20 calls, 30 calls, whatever. Um, I answered every single one of them. And I said, all right, appointment set. That's the next column. How many appointments did you set? None. Not a single one of these people want to sell their house. Hmm. Now I know where the problem is. And so many people say, well, real estate investing didn't work for me or this didn't work. And if you go into these metrics, it's going to be one of these departments that didn't work. And that's all that needs to get fixed. And so it instantly hit me, man. Like I'm smarter than this. Um, we, we disc test or personality profile, almost everybody that we work with. I did not do it on her. And I, I knew it. I knew it all day long. Um, so I sent her the, the test, she sent it back and 
I, what I used on her was DISC, D-I-S-C. Um, the D is, is decision-making, decisiveness. I is influence. S is ability structure. C is like cautiousness, rule following. And it, it's not a good or bad scale. It's just to which it. Long story short, her influence is, is zero. I mean, she's, she's at the very, very bottom. Um, I don't remember if she was like a four or five out of a 99 scale, wow. which you would, owning a business, you would never, ever put a salesperson into, you, you would never put somebody with, a, with no eye into a sales role. And she was in the sales role on that assembly line. We subbed her out. We ran ads. We we screened and hired an acquisitions manager. Business blew up crazy. Wow, crazy. Wow. Um, closing wow. deals like crazy, making money like crazy. But she was ready to give up and quit because real estate investing didn't work. And I share that, man, because we all have to look at where is my unique genius zone. Where am I really, really good, and where am I not? Because that seven step process is really like seven different departments. And just because you're a good marketer doesn't mean you're a good salesman, doesn't mean you're good with details, doesn't mean you're good with systems, doesn't mean, you know what I mean? So yeah. one thing that we've learned in 19 years, stay in your lane, stay in your unique genius zone and do what you're really, really good at. Wow, that was, that was, that was beautiful, Jason. And um, man, you guys may need to get in the business of coaching coaches because the first 40 minutes, that was for my listeners. They, that was super invaluable. The last 10 minutes, that was for me personally. Um, I, I can't tell you, you how many people I've had this exact situation with, like to the T. And it's never dawned on me to implement something like you guys have implemented. Like I've taken the this test, I take my respects, I do all that all day long. But to have my clients actually do that and see where they're struggling, I think that. Phew, Dude, you want, you want to hear something? Here's something crazy. Um, I just got back from Austin last week. We had a, a little mastermind for one of the masterminds that, that we run. And we use this, this thing called the predictive index now. It's, it's, a, it's, it's another Strength Finders, Myers-Briggs, Colby Index, whatever. But it's the only one that you can legally make a hiring decision from in, in the United States. The only one that you can legally hire somebody off the results. Uh, so I think that kind of speaks to the quality of it. But, but my partner that we're running the group with, um, we tested everybody before they got there. And as they took their turn in the mastermind group, we put it up on the screen, their personality profile for us to see, but also for everyone else in the room to see. And it, dude, it, it game changer, absolute game changer for your, for your coaching students, for the people that you're working with. Um, I'm not trying to tell you what to do, man, at, at all. I hope, I hope you know that. Um, I, I, uh, it, this, I learned this and it was so impactful for how we coached them because I know that this Maverick profile is going to, Anything I tell them to do to change, if I say you need to do this, they're going to hammer against me. They're not going to hear it. Yeah, but they're, they're going to do all this. But if I, can, if I can go around it the other way and, and ask questions like what are some other things that we could do and guide them to the same place that I would have told them to go anyway, then they receive it, they do it, and things change. Um, wow. It's helped me be such a better mentor and coach. Lifestyle Design Acceleration Hacks. What is your favorite? Before the Millions book? I would say 10X. 
Mm. Um, there's so many nuggets right in that. But one thing that really always hits me is like, we always grossly underestimate the, the effort, uh, the hustle is my favorite term that it takes to actually achieve your goal. And so we're always setting it really low, but then we're, we're not even doing enough to even hit this low one. And so for me, that first introduction to that was a game changer that I was like, you know, if, if the number's 500, I'm making it 1.5, right? And then if I think I need to do this, I'm doing four times as much. And even if I don't hit 1.5, but I hit 1.25, like I'm good, right? Like I still, yeah, I'm still real happy. But if I would have hit that five and then, you know, made it five, and what if I hit? 300, you know, look at how far that gap is. And for me, that's, that's always my biggest nugget. I always try to keep that fresh in my head. Like if this is what you think it is, and that's my first instinct, double it, triple it, right? Make it bigger. I want to, I want to, before we, before we get to you, Jason, I want to, I want to touch on something because it's, it's aching at me right now since you said that. I want to, I want to look at 10X from, from the reverse end because, you know, oftentimes, and you guys may do this. I know I do this sometimes as well. But oftentimes, you know, when I when I wanted to leave my job, I gave myself two years, right? And most people will tell you, hey, it's going to take five years to completely replace your income. It's going to take 10 years. Or, you know, if you do this for the next 20 years. And I gave myself two years and I started from zero. I said two years. And the reason I did that, again, from the reverse end of 10X, is because of something called Parkinson's law, right? The, the time that you give something, uh, it's it's going to expand into the time that you give it. So if you give yourself five years, it's going to expand into five years, if not longer. So I said, all right, let me give myself two years and see what happens. And because I'm operating from that frame of mind, the things that I'm doing now, like five years, you can't really, it's not tangible, right? You don't know what to do year one. You don't even know what to do month one. Like that's insane to think you know what to do month one to meet your five-year goal. But two years, you can break that down. Now I love this book called The 12 Week Year because it really just breaks down even one year into 12 weeks. You have one year every 12 weeks. It's a beautiful book. But I was able to do that because of the 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 law, Parkinson's law, right? The time is going to expand to, to the lot of time that you give it. So whenever you set your goals, similar to what Rachel just said, you have to set your goals in such a way that it's almost like you're, you're, psych, you're psyching your mind out. You're psyching yeah. your mind out to do more, to do better, man. It's, it's beautiful. I love that. 10X is one of my favorite books. Jason, Before the Millions book. Man, um, I, I am a big subscriber of 80% of success that you have in anything in life, whether it's your marriage, whether it's your business, whether it's going to the gym, is psychological, and 20% is mechanics. Everyone runs around to learn real estate mechanics, and you can learn all the mechanics in the world, but if you don't get this right, it's never going to work. You're never going to get out of corporate America, and things are never going to change. Like that, that, to me, is more important than the mechanics. I mean, the right mechanics will get you to the finish line 10 years faster, right? But if we can't condition ourselves to take action on that blueprint or on those mechanics, it's all for naught anyway. So a um, couple I'll rattle off real quick. I know you said one. Um, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Carnegie. Uh, old school, just, just a good book on relating with people. I would say the, you know, the majority of the success that we've had has really come from the relationships that we forged. Um, Super important. Uh, Think and Grow Rich, obviously an age-old book, but that, it's just dealing with the mindset. The whole premise of the book is, is, is really conditioning your subconscious to believe that these things are possible. And not in a gimmicky, I'm going to be rich, you know what I mean? But, but really, really believing it. 
Um, and then one last one was Mastering Influence by Tony Robbins. It's not a book, it's a training, but really, really good. I haven't heard of that one before. Yeah, it's really good. Okay, I love it. We will have all those in the show notes. Um, so back to Rachel, what is your favorite lifestyle design app? This can be a business app or tool. Ooh. My favorite, oh, you might have just stumped me here. My favorite just, lifestyle. We just got her on Facebook in the last year, man. So. Yeah, I, well, um, I love it. It can be your calendar. Yeah, I was going to say that calendar was the first thing that came into mind because like Jason said, you know, we work very intentional. So that way we don't have to work that much, you know? And so I live off that calendar. It is my everything. It's how I make sure there's personal time. I mean, when I look at that calendar, I'm thinking about what family trips are we going to do? Uh, my marriage is extremely important. So my husband and I need to have a couple date nights in there somewhere. Um, and then I got to build my business around those personal things. So yeah, for me, it'd be the calendar for sure. I think that's a great lifestyle design tip. You don't, you don't, you can't, you, you will not accomplish what you don't schedule. People think Absolutely. oh, you need to schedule family time. Like, what is that? No, you need to schedule vacations. You need to schedule yeah. family time because it will not happen, especially if you're an entrepreneur. So I love that. Um, yep. Jason, lifestyle design app. Uh, that's a good question too, man. Um, I was thinking as, as I'm giving you guys I, all the answers. <laughs> I, I, I hate to do the, yeah, I mean, she's, she's the smart one. I hate to do the, um, Facebook the follow up copy answer, but, um, I, I mean, it, it, it's my calendar too, man. Every, every minute of my day is on there. Um, you know, one thing that I, I will share just quickly is one thing that I learned from that mentor was plan out your week for how you want your life to look. What, what would you make breakfast for your wife, for your husband? Would you go to the gym? What would you do if you didn't have to worry about money and you didn't have to worry about work? And then, and then after you fill out what an awesome, fun, super cool life would look like, whatever's left over is when you work. Um, and, and anybody that does that right is not going to have more than 20 or 25 hours a week left to work. When you build your life that way and, and you live by it, like the app, the calendar, um, I wake up in the morning, my day's planned. I, you know, and, and it's, it's very on purpose. Yeah. I love that. I love that. I love that. So, so that leads us right into our next question. What do you enjoy most about the way your lifestyle is currently designed? For me, it's the, it's the mother and the wife that I'm able to be. I would have never been this version of myself if I, I wouldn't be this version of myself if I just worked nine to five, five days a week, you know, um, it's snowing outside. I'm sitting at home today. You know, I mean, I, my kids are somewhere so I could do this podcast, but then I'll be getting them right back. Um, I, my nine-year-old, uh, tells people that I'm a stay-at-home mom and a boss lady because she's like, you take me to school, you pick me up, you're at every party. You know, she doesn't know any different. And she's like, when you travel for business, we go too, and we, you know, we turn those into our adventures and stuff. And so, yeah, for, for me, it's the, it's me getting to be that, you know, and no one's perfect. Right. But the, the version of a mother and a wife that I, I probably never even really knew that I wanted to be that, that it allows me to be for sure. That's amazing. That's a beautiful answer. I love that so much. And, um, I, I truly, you know, um, I, it's one of the things that I've always had as a vision uh, of my future when I do have kids, right? I want to be that parent who's able to pick my kids up from the bus stop because, yeah. you know, I'm location independent. I want to be that parent who's going to all the games, right? Uh, it's not a luxury that's afforded to all of us. And if we can build that life, 
if yeah. all of us can actually, right? We just have chosen not to, but if we can build that life, then uh, I mean, we'll, we'll be prosperous, our family will be happy, and oh, amazing. So I love that. Uh, Jason, what about you? What do you enjoy most about the way your lifestyle is currently designed? Um, hard to follow that one up, Rachel. That was good. I mean, that's, that's right off. Um, I was like, Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's, uh, but it's very, I mean, it's, it's for me, I think it's, it's freedom. Um, and it's freedom to do a lot of the things that she discussed. It's freedom to wake up in the morning and know that we, we we're in 100% control of what we do, where we spend our time. Um, I have a coaching student who doesn't even live in our market share with me the other night that we had been to 20 something places together in the last two years. Wow. I, I didn't go on 20 vacations in the 10 years that we owned the mortgage company. Um, and, and I met this guy at an event. He became a student. He's become very successful. He's now a coach for us. Um, and he said we had been to 20 different places. I would have never guess that, but the, just the freedom to be able to do that. And, and the other for me, man, is I used to really struggle personally with, with business. Um, in a way that like almost like a why God way, man. Um, I wouldn't plan on talking about that, but, but like, like to, to, to what end is it, is this, is this just to glorify me to glorify being Rachel? Um, like what? Okay, great. Um, and, and with the real estate stuff, you know, I, it was fun. It's fun. I, I like taking a house that's beat up and making it nice and selling it and making a check. But, but I was, I've never been this crazy passionate about real estate guy. Um, but that income that we've made from real estate, we never intended for REI, REI Blueprint to offer education. Um, that income, the money that we've made from real estate investing is what gave us the freedom to travel around the country on our own dime and teach people and not get paid for it and really just share from our heart. And when you start to see lives being changed and marriages, Rachel had a a student yesterday that said that if it was not for you guys, my marriage would have been destroyed. And now I have the best marriage ever. Um, I, I'm no different than anybody else, man. I'm no marriage counselor, but that is so freaking cool. You know I mean? And, and it's, it's so much cooler than getting another house deal. I'm not making house deals bad. I'm just saying that when you can use that as a vehicle to really live life and do what you're passionate about, man, game over. That's, yep. insane. That's insane. I love that. What were the sacrifices that you knew you had to make before the millions to get to where you are today? I think the time sacrifice, and I think that's what keeps so many people from being successful. Like I always refer to it as the hustle period. So I'm not on here to tell you that it's all going to happen like this and that you're not going to be tired, especially when you're making that transition. Um, But I'm telling you, it's worth it. You know, that short term sacrifice of you coming home and making sure that marketing gets out or coming home and making sure you make those outbound phone calls. It's it's a temporary sacrifice for a long term gain. Mm, love it love it love it short and succinct that was beautiful what about you what were some sacrifices that you knew you had to make jason um the first time we did it i sacrificed my personal health i sacrificed friends that i really cared about i sacrificed relationships of people who i hurt that never ever hurt me um and those are you know those are tough burdens to carry um what I would say for anybody who's going down this path is, you know, get some education on learning how to really run a business because that is what's given us the freedom. When we decide to structure our business in a way that we work three or four hours a day, three or four days a week, everything, all those things still have to get done, but you figure out a different way to get them done. Yeah. 
And then you don't sacrifice all of those things that matter. It's not a, if I work really, really, really hard, then someday I can have this life that I wanted. You can have it now. You can do it now if you set it up right from the very beginning. I love that. If it was about working hard, I know so many more people that that would be oh, yeah. you know, yes. doing this. Yep. So definitely not what it's about. So I, I love that so much. Um, who was essential to your growth before the millions and why? Um, I'd say, you know, first and foremost, like, my husband's support is such a big deal, you know, because I have, um, I've got, I've got little kids and, you know, I travel and do these events and things like that. And, you know, being, being a female entrepreneur, being a female real estate investor, like I still have dinner. I I run a whole household at the same time and, you know, everybody wants mommy, you know? And so I think having him and that support of, yes, like go do this, this, you know, there's so many women I think that would like to do this, but they don't have that support person. That would be really difficult. Um, and then quickly, but second to that, absolutely Jason, because your, your mindset, you know, we all work really hard on it. Right. But we have those times where we fall down and that's, what's been so great about our partnership is that when one of us is like that, the other one's there to almost kind of like kick us in the rear and say, come on, no, Let's rise above this. Why we didn't get it this time, but we try until. So let's figure it out. I love that. I love that so much, Jason. What about you? Who was essential to your growth before the millions, and why? Man, um, good question. I, I gotta um, say that you know when the, when the mortgage company was going under, we were wiping out, and there there came the point where I realized that payroll wasn't going to clear. Um, for the first time, right? Uh, I, I knew that I owed people the last two weeks of hours. I'm looking at the bank account, not enough to pay the remaining people. So I went to everybody and said, hey, I don't, I, I'm not that guy. Um, you, you're not going to find out a surprise in two weeks and your check bounces and I'm going to disappear. I, I'm telling you now that in two weeks, there's not going to be enough money to pay your paycheck. So run, you know what I mean? Go, go get another job, go do whatever you got to do because I, I don't want to be that guy. And I mean, Rachel, I can still see it. She looked at me and she said, well, I guess it is what it is. If the sink, if the ship is sinking, then I'm sinking with it. And um, I don't know. That was, that's always kind of how it's been since that point. It's never, uh, I don't know. We've never doubted ourselves. We've never wanted to give up. We've never talked ever about going back to work. It's always been, we're going to figure it out a hundred percent of the time. And that would be my, my girlfriend runs her own business by herself. And, um, this would have been a completely different deal, um, without having Rachel as a partner. So I mean, I just, I couldn't even imagine being through everything that we've been through with 100% on, of that on my shoulders by myself. Couldn't imagine that. Wow. Wow. Jason, Jason is still in all the thunder as of late. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. It's beautiful. And I, I definitely can resonate with that. Last but not least, why do you think so many of us are stuck? before the millions, even though we have every intention of getting to the millions? You haven't decided to commit. When you commit, like so many people are interested, right? I think that's great, right? But interested does not get you to success. Commitment does. And I said it before, like you try until period. It does not matter where you came from. It does not matter your background. Like I, I don't come from this place that I should be in the position that I'm in today, right? And um, it, it's a decision that you make 
and there's no other way out of it. There's no other option for you. And when you take all of those other options off the table, mm-hmm. you just keep hustling. You keep doing whatever it is that you have to do until it's there. Yeah. The, the root word of decision is decide. And if you take the IDE of decide, like I'd, what that actually literally means is to cut off. So like pesticide, yeah. you know, like genocide, right? So when you make a decision, you have cut off any other possibility that this is not what you're going to do. This is not what you're going to accomplish. And that is beautiful, Rachel. Jason, what, what's keeping um, you stuck? Man, I, I think at its core, it's fear, man. Um, fear of failure, fear of messing up, fear of losing money, fear of, of not being able to pay the bills. Um, to, to at its core, I think any any reason that we're not taking action on something is because there's fear, and, and I guess another word for fear is is just uncertainty. Um, and when you when you study some of the the greatest leaders that have ever walked, you know, uh, that have ever been on this earth, um, one thing they all have in common is is they have a sense, they have an extreme sense of certainty. They they bring certainty to an uncertain situation. And I think that's something that we can all learn and practice. Oh, yeah. You know, when, when Rachel and I start a new marketing strategy, I mean, we are, it, it's going to work. It's going to work. I mean, we don't even, we, we, we are, we are so convicted in that, that we oftentimes go into things and I'm not saying this is good, but we oftentimes go into things without a backup plan. Um, we spent hundreds of thousands of dollars in the last 12 months on Facebook ads. Um, which is something that we've never ever done, and we failed at it, man. Um, but we didn't even we didn't even backup we didn't even backup plan it. Um, I mean, we were like, it's it's gonna work, it's gonna work no matter what. But in in that, we figured it out, um, and and we've been it, because of that certainty. I think that we're gonna just try until you, you get the answer, as opposed to saying, oh my god, another fifty thousand dollars on Facebook ads this month. The last four months in a row, it didn't work. Why is it? Let's give up and quit. Um, that'd be my answer, man. I love that. I love that so much. And and it's, this has been, um, I have to go back and listen to this episode myself a few times. This has probably been one of the best episodes that we've put out and I cannot wait to get it out to the listeners. Guys, listeners want to, want to learn a little bit more about what you guys have to offer. Uh, reach out to you guys, ask a few questions. How can I go about some of those things? I think the best way is probably follow us on Facebook. Um, go to Facebook, type in REI blueprint. And, and follow us there. We're daily posting content, posting instructional stuff, teaching lessons. Our coaching students are posting on there. Our coaches are posting on there. It's, it's, it's become a really, really cool community of people who are like-minded, who are trying to go to the same place. And um, man, if there's anything we can help do to help you, help your listeners, man, um, you've been such a gracious host. This has been a freaking blast, man. You're an awesome guy. Um, yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hey, this has been this has been amazing. I cannot again. I can't wait to get this out. I've learned so much. I got to go back and refine some processes and systems. I'm excited. Um, I know the listeners are, are, are pressing. You know, thirty second rewind, thirty second rewind every every few minutes. So it's been a blast. Um, we're gonna put all the links to everything that we mentioned on today's episode in the show notes. So guys, make sure you check that out. Um, Jason, Rachel, amazing, amazing work. Not everybody. And that's why we talked about a podcast before this call. Not everybody who's in this line of work, not everybody who's who's doing great in real estate 
has this give back, has this component to where they're sharing with others. I know that, especially the way I grew up, it was always taught to hoard the information that you knew and not tell anybody and not show people, show people the success, but don't show people how you got there. And, you know, you guys are doing great work um, getting on these podcasts and really, really evangelizing this message because I know that lifestyle freedom is capable for any and everyone as long as you decide, as long as you make a good right. Guys, I really salute you guys for what you do. And uh, we'll talk to you very, very soon. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks guys. guys.